Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and on today's episode, I am joined by Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee is the author of Anna Kay, a modern day retelling of Anna Karenina, and the brand new sequel to Anna Kay entitled Anna Kay Away. On today's episode, we talk about pandemic brain, we talk about the challenges of modernizing a classic, and of course, we talk about Jenny's favorite books. Jenny will be back the last week of May to discuss Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy for the Stacks Book Club on Wednesday, May 26th. If you haven't donated to Million Book Project yet, it's not too late. We are still trying to raise $50,000 and we are very close to hitting our goal. The fundraiser ends on Thursday, May 7th. So if you can, please click the link in the show notes and donate to Million Book Project as they bring books and libraries into prisons to counteract what prison does to the human spirit. If you love this podcast and want inside access, book conversations, discounts on merch, and a lot more Stacks goodness, please consider joining the Stacks Pack on Patreon. For your monthly contribution, you get to join a community of book lovers and get to know that you're helping make this podcast possible. If this sounds like you, please head to patreon.com slash the stacks. I want to give a special thank you to some of the newest members of the Stacks Pack. Janice Goff, Nicole Crozier, Stephanie Williams, Elizabeth Venter, Amy Irvin, Julie, Susan Howard, Amanda Heesh, Faith Park Dodge, and Amanda Bernardi. Thank you all so, so much for helping to make the Stacks a reality every single week. Okay, you've been patient. Now it's time for my conversation with Jenny Lee. All right, everybody. It is the episode that has sort of been in the making for over a year now. I am joined by Jenny Lee, author of Anna Kay and out now, Anna Kay away. Jenny Lee, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you. Hi, Tracy. I'm so excited to see you, but like meet you virtually while while we record this. So for people who don't know, last year when the pandemic first started, Jenny's book, Anna Kay came out and I was like, I want to do things to support authors. So I started doing these Instagram lives that I was calling the Stacks Quarantour. So they were like little mini book tours. And Jenny was my first person that I did it with. And we both live in LA. And at the end of our thing, we're like, Jenny, you have to come on the podcast. We'll do it in person when this is all over, thinking it was going to be like the fall. Yeah. 
Totally. We're now in, we're recording this in April. So it's been 13 months, but there is a silver lining. We are both going to be fully vaccinated and we were going to, are going to record the conversation about Anna Karenina live in person with one another. So Yay! I'm very excited. Me too. Me too. <laughs> but for now, we'll start where we sort of always start, which is, can you just tell the people a little bit about yourself? Oh boy, that's a big question. Um, I guess in terms of me as an author, yes, I live in LA. Um, I am married. I have a wonderful husband who I dedicated the first book to, who had, uh, who has two English teachers as parents. So he's very helpful in the editing process. So I, I recommend that to any of you writers out there. You got to look for a, uh, a nice uh, husband or a mate who can help you with those things. And I have a 135 pound Newfoundland dog, which makes an appearance named Gemma, which also appears in Anna Kay. And the second book. And you also do television writing. Yes. That was like your background. Yes. I'm a TV writer and producer as well. So I've been living, I moved to LA just to kind of pursue the TV aspect. I'd been writing books for a while, but you know, you got to make a living <laughs> a little bit, sometimes yeah. more than you can in uh, writing just books. Um, I have to say, so I've read Anna Kay, which I loved, which everyone listening knows I'm obsessed with that book, even though it's totally not something that I think that if you presented to me, I would be like, this is my kind of book. But in fact, I love rich kids doing things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love the book. And in Anna Kay Away, you have sort of the thing I love about your work is that you always have like little Easter eggs, like about your life. Like Gemma makes an appearance. I think fellow bookstagrammer Jordy sort yes. of makes an appearance in Anna KOA. Right. And then also, I think you wrote for Zendaya's TV show when she was a little girl. I did. And she makes an appearance in Anna KOA too. So I sort of love that. And funny story, I actually... Zendaya's father okay. was my PE teacher in middle school. No so way. I knew her when she was like two years old. Um, I've known her father for, for years and years and years, but it's every time I see her, I'm like, I can't believe she's like 10 years younger than me. So she was two when I was in middle school. I can't believe it either. I mean, she was 15 years old when she started Shake It Up, and that was um, her very first TV show. And then to see her, like, watch her career explode, it's incredible to see it's, it's incredible amazing. yes and she also um at 15 she wasn't as tall as she is now but we saw in that first year i saw her she wasn't my height because i'm only five four then but she was already <laughs> taller than me but she really shot up in that one year we were like oh my god so suddenly she's <laughs> taller than everybody well both her parents are super so tall. tall yes so tall i mean she comes by the height honestly for sure not that this is a zendaya like fan club but <laughs> it sort of is for, at least for me yeah um Okay, so for people who don't know, Anna Kay was a adaptation of Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, which is our book club pick for May. So everyone read up. You can do it. We've done it. You can do it. <laughs> um, but I want to know what, like, I want to know how you came to this idea of adapting this classic, sort of why, and then how you decided where you were going to place the characters in this modern retelling, like teenagers in New York, how you decide, how you like do that process. It was sort of, you know, I'm going to tell you, it was a very organic thing because I have to say that um, it was my first, it was my young adult debut novel, um, Anna Kay. So I'd never written young adult before. I mean, I obviously had read certain ones that like, you know, John Green, The Fault of Our Stars, The Hunger Games, et cetera, that were young adult. But I can't say that I was like a big young adult person reader in general. Um, so 
I have always loved Anna Karenina, the book. I read that when I was 15 years old and was like grounded in high school. It's another story. Um, and my sister, my older sister, who was at Brown, had, was taking Russian literature and she had sent me a copy of the book and was like, you have time because you're grounded. Read this. And I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. 800 page novel. And then I was desperate and I read it and I was like, oh my God, I love, I was obsessed. I loved the book. And then I have since read it almost every decade again. Mm -hmm. And it's so different every like stage of your life. Because as a teenager, I certainly skipped some of the slower parts and was like really obsessed with the doomed love affair between Anna and Bronski. Like that was my favorite part. So the retelling wise is that I've always loved seeing film adaptations of books. And so I've seen every single Anna Karenina adaptation. So in twenty, how many are there? There's a lot. Vivian Lee plays her. Um, <gasps> yeah, there's a lot. That's like black and white. They've done like a Russian version. There was like a Russian TV show. So I've always tried to look for some. Okay. Um, in 2012, I was in New York City uh, at Christmas time, and my mom was there with me and I was divorced from my first marriage and it was just the two of us. And so I was like, Oh my God, we need activities. And Anna Karenina was playing at the Zigfield theater, which is sadly no longer there. Oh my God. Yes. And we saw it on Christmas day. So it was just like this, like such a great adaptation to see. I mean, I didn't love the total movie, but I love Kira Knightley. I love the clothes. I love the jewelry. I loved that their relationship and chemistry was great on screen. And so afterwards, my mom had read Anna Karenina as well, but she'd read it actually in Korean. Like my mom is actually a really great reader and like has read lots of classics. Um, but usually she has to read them in Korean. And sometimes she can read them also in American, but it, it's tricky. So we kind of discussed, we just got into a really long conversation about how sad it was of, you know, Anna's like, what happened to her? You make one mistake. And coming from my mom are very different generationally and like opinion wise about gender and everything in every direction. But it was sort of interesting where she, my mom was talking about Korea and how it kind of is still sort of. It's not the Russian 1800s, but it's very a male patriarchal society where mm. I have always been very independent and very like female forward and like a feminist myself. So we just had very different takes about like the tragedy of it all. And then I was thinking, though, in talking about it with her, it really is a story about people's first experiences with love and like mm. what it does if you look at it through all the characters lens. And I was thinking, I don't know, it just popped in my head. I was like, oh, if you did this in a modern day adaptation probably have to be teenagers because a lot of people like have their first experience of love or what they even think is love even if it's not doesn't turn out to be so in high school right and so go oh, go ahead no no I just <laughs> so that's so interesting because I my next question was going to be what do you what do you think we gain or lose from them being teenagers because okay. in the original they're adults right and so there's like different stakes I mean we're not going to spoil the book but just this happens early is that Anna has a child, right. which in your version, obviously she does not have a child. So like that was one of the things I was like, I wonder what we gain and lose in this conversation with teenagers. I know. I, I decided to pick teenagers because one of the big things was, I mean, I really did have a whole like, who am I to think I can, it wasn't, it's never a rewrite of Tolstoy. It was basically right, 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 like right. an adaptation. So I felt like a lot of weirdness about that anyway. It just was one of these like random ideas i end up having in the middle of the night at the hotel i couldn't sleep and i went down to the lobby because i'm sharing a room with my mom and i was sitting there and thinking about like the movie and everything i was like oh if it was a ya adaptation what also popped in my head i was like oh my god new york would be perfect right because you could see new york city and then i obviously you need the train which we can we'll get into in the next you know the what it means in the um, the other podcast but 
I was like, oh my God, you could do Greenwich, Connecticut as St. Petersburg, and then Moscow could be New York City with Metro North. And it just kind of all came at once. I emailed my book agent, like literally right then. I was like, what do you think about like a YA retelling of Anna Karenina? And she was like, she'd write me back immediately. It was the middle of the night. But she, two days later, she was like, it's a brilliant idea. Write it now. And that was 2012, though. And I just, I tried a couple times, but I was, I had just moved to, I was in LA working on TV shows. I didn't have much free time and I couldn't figure out how to do it, like structurally. So I don't know. I finally, I figured it out in 2018, early 2018. And that's when I wrote it finally. So I was like, maybe it was marinating for like five years. So who knows? Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that the idea came so far before the actual writing of it. That's so interesting. Was there something that happened that made you, be able to write it? Like, I mean, after kind of playing with it for six years, was there like an inciting incident or like you watch the movie again or something? The inciting incident was so, I don't know, it's so crazy to me, like even thinking about because I was like, oh, this is one of those again, like it's like you're, it's marinating and you're ready. I had minor surgery in uh, early 2018 and I was like on bed rest basically. Just for mm. one week, I had to be like, on bed rest, heavily medicated with uh, Percocet and Soma, which is called a Las Vegas cocktail, which does make an appearance in that book because that's what Alexander's on. And I like oh. named it because I found out about it then. I had not watched Game of Thrones because I'm a person who wants to read the book first and then watch okay. things. And so during that week, though, I watched all of Game of Thrones up until the last season because it was the year before that. And watching it, I got obsessed with it, like everybody else in the country. And then I went back and started reading the first book. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so similar. And as a TV writer, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, this makes perfect sense. I have to think of it like a TV writer, which is like there's so many characters in Anna Karenina in my adaptation. I kept being like, how am I going to do that? How am I going to write that as a book? And I was like, I should write it and structure it like a TV show, like how I would lay it out. And those short, super short chapters should be thought of as scenes. And it just mm. it just totally unlocked for me. And I wrote that first draft, I think, in eight weeks, maybe. I mean, 529 wow. pages. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. I was upset. I know. I think I thought about that too. When I was like, agree, when I was agreeing to have you on the Saks Corn tour, I right. was like, um, okay, I have like four days before we're doing this. And I told everyone when we were doing it, I was like, I can't guarantee that I'll finish your book. I'll definitely start it, but I can't guarantee that I'll finish it. Of course, you were the first person. I picked up your book and was like, this is an 800 book distilled down to like a 400 and something page book or whatever. I was like, right. yeah, fucking right. I had it on my <laughs> Kindle because I don't even think we were mailing things at the time. Like right. I couldn't get a physical copy. Um, and I was like, there's no way. And then I picked it up and I read it, I think, in two and a half days because it was so good. And it re and it reads, you're right, it reads like a TV show or like it, it just moves so quickly, um, which we can talk about the difference between that and the the original when, when we get there. Because <laughs> right. I think there's a difference. Um, but when you're okay so so you've you've adapted this thing people love it um smart people like me mostly you know like i love it right. <laughs> like young people love it people who don't think they're gonna love it love it like it just it's a hit like it's a book hit and then it comes out a few days like what a, a week, week before a week. the pandemic yeah i know you had at least one live event at chevalier's my local right. bookstore yes. um and then all of a sudden it's locked down. All your events go online and you have agreed to write the sequel. Yes. So I want to know what the fuck that was like, because you are truly like the pandemic author. You were the first, like people who are writing books that are coming out now, they have a sense. Like I'm going to do a virtual tour. I'm going to live like, it's going to be like this. I'm going to be, 
you know, promoting at all these places and it's all going to be from my house. But you didn't really know what was going on and no, you'd didn't. agreed to write a follow up. So I want to know sort of what that was, <laughs> was like, like for you. Yeah. Um, where I can say Anna Kay was like this divine and such a fun experience of writing the first book, that sequel, it really took a lot out of me. I mean, global pandemic aside, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's hard to separate. I right. when I sold the book, there was no plan for sequel. It, when I sold it, I did get a two book deal, but it was like untitled second YA. It wasn't like I was like, Oh, my God, I definitely want to write a sequel and turn it into a series. I don't think I had realized that a lot there were so many young adult series. Like I just didn't know that mm. that was a thing. And it very much Seems to be with a lot of the big authors. Yeah, for sure. So I was like, oh, and then when um, Flatiron Publishers started hearing like early first early buzz from like sales reps, etc. And bookstores, they were like, you know, maybe we should do a sequel. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I just immediately said yes without really giving it, you know, I just love the characters and the settings, obviously so fun. I had a great time writing it. I was like, sure. So by the time the first book came out, I actually was probably 70% done with the sequel oh, wow. already. So they were, and honestly, they had wanted it to be turned in. And I was like, I can't do it. I just couldn't finish. I wasn't there. And then the pandemic hit. And honestly, I just, I mean, it threw everybody for a loop. We had no clue. It was very scary in the beginning couple of months. Like yeah. you and I, you know, we didn't even know each other. And we like immediately bonded right. and we're like, how are you doing? How's your mental yeah. health? It was scary. And so... I just was like, I really went to the publishers. I'm like, is anyone going to want to read a book like this afterwards? It's like all these teenagers are having everything canceled in their lives, their graduations, their proms, everything. So then I was like, really, I was like, I want to stop writing. I'm not going to keep going. I'm going to wait for a little bit. Let's see what shakes out. So I waited for probably about four months. And then they were like, people really love your book as an escape in the pandemic. <laughs> They're like, people are still mm -hmm. buying books. It's really soapy and fun. We really think you should finish. And I was like, okay. And then I really threw out half of what I had written. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to just completely redo it. Because, I mean, obviously it comes after the first book. And, I mean, we're not giving spoilers away. But, you know, Anna's in a very different place in her life then. And I kind of wanted to mirror a little bit with the seriousness of what was happening in the world, what was happening in her life, kind of. So I really took a different approach. But then, I don't know. I just, it's so hard to be creative and to write in a pandemic. I tried so many different storylines for her story, like her journey in that book. And I kept starting and throwing out them out. I knew she was going to go to Korea. Like I knew that was all going to stay, but I completely rewrote like her actual story uh, that takes place in Korea. Like, I don't know, two or three times I kept trying different ideas and I was like, Oh, it's not working. And I've never had so many problems <laughs> with like, wow. and she's the main person too. So it was really, I was like, Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I will say, the one thing I learned is that um, I was a person who would always be like, oh, when I didn't like the sequel after loving the first book, and I would kind of be like, ah, so lame. I mean, how could they not understand how important it is if you have a great first book mm. to have a great follow-up? And then now I know how hard it is. I will never <laughs> say that again to any movie or TV show because I really was like cracking under the pressure of like people loving the first book. And I was like, what if I deliver a terrible second book? It was really, and I obviously did not have the plot point of the first book to go by. It was like completely right. made. Well, that was kind of my next question, which is what happens when the source material dries up? <laughs> like, how do you approach, like your first book, you had 800 plus pages to kind yes. of play around with as like what I can take. Like, and obviously it's not, it's not a word for word retelling. Like you definitely veer from the plot. You create, 
you know, it's not the 1800s in Russia. It's right. 2018 or whatever in New York City. Like, right. there's a different vibe. Um, but when that dries up, where do you go to pull inspiration for this whole other story with these people? Like, there's no blueprint. There's no... There is no blueprint. (laughs) There was no blueprint. Let's just say that again. I had zero blueprint. I will say again, I was a little cocky about it. And I was like, oh, my God. But the characters are so well developed. It's going to be super fun. I'm a TV writer. I'm used to, like, pitching story, like, continuously. I'm like, I'll figure it out. Because I am not really an outliner. Which is was mm. my big, big mistake with this book. Because I was like, mm. I'll just write it on the fly. And that didn't go well. Um, I will outline. Um, I'm promising myself to let it be. This will be the record. If there is a book three, which I'm hoping there will be, but it's not for sure. Um, I will outline that book. Absolutely. <laughs> like a hundred thousand percent. Um, what I did is that I did know because the first book ends pretty much at the end of a school year. Like it's not necessarily like it starts in a February and ends like by May. Um, it's a very condensed timeline. I was like, I want to see how rich kids party in the summer. Like who doesn't want to see that? So I already, I had that idea early. Like I always knew I wanted to do like a summer book because I just thought, think it thought it would be so fun. So I was like, and, and I was like, oh, well, I know how, what rich kids do in the summer. They travel abroad. Like everyone has money and they go places. That was a little tricky though, because what I love about the first book, it's like so of the place. And then like you saw Valentine's Day from everyone's point of view all over the New right. York City and Greenwich. But here I was like the major holiday of, you know, um, the summer's 4th of July and she's in Korea. They don't care about 4th of July. So right. it was it was tricky for me to like figure out those things. And with like, and you know, another character goes to Los Angeles. So everyone's spread out. So I was like, oh, am I losing something by not having them all together? So... Anyway, it's one of those things where I'm like, it sounds like such a great idea. And then you're like, oh, this is very difficult to figure out how to pull off. Right. Because it gets super tricky. Right. Like, I mean, I think that I think that's the hard. I mean, I never I never think that sequels are easy. I think sequels seem so hard. I actually think that this sequel set all of us up for a really great third book. So I'm very hopeful that happens because I feel like that's what the sequel's job is, is like to bring some closure, but also to open up the door for the next thing. And I think that's really hard. And without giving any spoilers, like there was a lot you had to work through for the, uh, for the reader to get to a place that, that Anna could even have a more of a story. Yes. And I think that like, that's the thing about adapting something like the original, which is very, it feels like the ending is very final. And like Tolstoy is like, I'm not actually going to write a sequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I gave you 800 pages. Get out of my, get out of my head. I hope that I'm not stepping out of line asking no. you about this. I think it's okay. But yeah. you and I, as we talked about, we've been messaging for the last year just right. about our own personal mental health and all this stuff. And one of the things I remember really distinctly and kind of giggling about it, but also being like, I hope she's okay, is that you really didn't like Anna Kay away at certain points. Oh, yeah. Like, you you can... were really not happy with it or feeling very frustrated. And I think there was at least one time where you were like, I hate this book. Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, so I'm curious if you talk about working through that, because I think you're happy with it now. Yes. Yes. Okay. You're, did you like it? <laughs> not to put I you on the like spot. It. I did like it. Um, I, I definitely, the thing that I missed about it, which is part of the story, is like I missed the fun because of things that happen in the book, we don't get to see that because 
people are dealing with other things. And so for me as a reader, I just missed the joy of the first book, especially a year into the pandemic, right? Like as a person, but I liked what you did. I liked how you tried to, like, there are definitely those moments. There's some scenes in Seoul that are so great. And then there are still, we get the parties, which I always loved. And like, there still is the drama, especially in the second half of the book. But in the first half of the book, I struggled as a reader because I was like, I just want them to be rich and happy again. I know. I know. (laughs) I mean, let me tell you, my editor's fault. Right, right. Like, that's not a criticism of your work. It's actually probably a praise of your work. But as a reader, I was like, can we just, like, wear fancy clothes and, like, do drugs again and, yeah. like, make out? Yeah. Like, can I have a love story? Like, I miss the love. You know, like, there's things that you miss. But again, not that's not a fault of you. That's actually probably you staying true to your characters and what they're going through and me just being selfish. No, no, it's totally, (laughs) completely legitimate because I was just like spiraling out about that and my editors completely agree with you and they were like, oh, the beginning of the books, like it was way like sadder and mopier and whatever. And then they were like, oh, and I was like, but that's probably the true character arc or emotion. And they're like, yeah, but it's so not fun, which I get. And I understood that at the same time. I, we were texting during it. I had a terrible time. I mean, in terms of like writing books, I think this is my eighth book. Worst experience by far. Like I just Hmm. was. I mean, obviously it's a global pandemic, so it's hard to separate it out, but I just couldn't figure it out. Like I had like logical problems about again, like which I talked about, like time zone and everyone spread out. And it was really obviously Anna's story. I mean, she is the title character and I could not figure it out because I just didn't you know, again, not giving spoilers, I didn't want to, it was hard to figure out what was the best story for her. That was what I really struggled with. I kept changing it over and over and I'd be like, it's just not right. And so we had to delay it. Honestly, the book was supposed to come out March, I guess. And I just kept being like, it's not ready. I can't do it. And there was, I mean, there were a couple times when I was like, I don't know, maybe I tell the publishers that I have to hold and like really rethink it for like a a while. Like I just couldn't get it. Hmm. Um, it was really through the help of my husband, um, who, you know, because it was just the two of us trapped in this apartment for so long right, for a year. Right. And like, he saw me struggling and whatnot. And he was such a great cheerleader. He kept being like, you can do this. Like, you can figure it out. Like, we can do it. We can talk it out as much as you want. Because I don't know, I just was never happy with it for a really long time. Even, I mean, I would turn it in with like dread. And then I'd be like, Oh, and then I come up with a new idea and I'm like, maybe I'll do this. And then I would like write my editors. I'm like, they went through like quite a time with me too. It really was, uh, crazy. I finally, it was someone else through Instagram. It was another author, um, who's a Flatiron author, um, who wrote the Hazelwood, Melissa. She, I text her something and I said something about it because I know she did sequels and she's like, I'm going to give you advice that it's not even my own advice. It's Marie Lou once told it to me who wrote Warcross. She was like, all people want from a sequel is to hang out with the characters again. They just want to be with them. So they're not like as super focused on plot and everything that happens. Maybe you're putting too much pressure on yourself and just like have fun with the character. So that kind of unlocked and made me stop stressing out a little bit because I was like, okay, that's true, right? These are, you know, that's what I'm hoping. So (laughs) when that's what I did. And then in the end, we just slowly got it hopefully better and better. And like, I was pretty satisfied with it by the end. So that's so good. I just, I love hearing about that because I think oftentimes authors don't admit at least to me or publicly about hating or not liking or being disappointed in their work. 
Um, and because again, we were messaging sort of throughout about all sorts of things about our lives, about our bodies, right. about our, our, about everything, our how we're eating. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So I just, I, I found that to be really fascinating. And when we decided to talk about this, I was like, I hope she'll talk about that. Um, I'm as a TV writer and like who works in like comedy rooms, really, you have to just go there and just, I'm, you can ask me anything and I'll tell you the truth okay. because that's where the good stories come from. I mean, that's, it's that sort of honesty that makes, you know, anyone out there who wants to be a writer, it's not all like, woohoo, like the first book, amazing, like writing experience for me, loved every moment. This one, I was like, I don't know if I can do this, like for real. Right. Do you think, do you, or what do you find to be the difference for you creatively working in a writer's room with lots of people versus working with yourself? Um, when you're, when you're like writing a book, because I know, you know, in writer's rooms, it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of ideas. It's a lot of back and forth versus when you're stuck with yourself in your head, in your apartment, and maybe your husband helps here and there. Like, how do you work? How does that work for you creatively? I think the different, like growing up, I mean, I've always knew I wanted to be a writer. I mean, that was always, always a dream. And it's still on the top of my bucket list as an adult fiction novel. Like that's still like, I'm like, that is my ultimate goal. And so I've always wanted to do that. But when I started writing books in the beginning, and my first couple books were like collections of like, you know, humor essays about my life. I found that very isolating because I always worked through my 20s. I worked in marketing. I worked in PR. I worked in, you know, uh, in like a book and advertising agency for book publishing, like lots of, oh, I worked in book publishing too for a little while. I did a bunch of different things and I love people. I'm very social, just like right, how you and right. I became friends on Instagram. Like yeah. I'm very social. I'm chatty. I sort of need that. And I just found writing books a little bit like lonely and isolating. So when mm. I finally moved out to LA in like 2007 and started writing for TV, I was like, oh my God, TV's great. It's like a group. It's like putting on a play. It's like a bunch <laughs> of people like, you know, on Shake It Up. I mean, as that example, since we already discussed it, it's like a hundred people put that show on. Do you know what I mean? Concluding like, eight to 10 writers versus the entire crew. So it's like a very, it's like a group experience, which I love. Um, but then there is this point in time when I started missing writing books again. And I, um, how I got back into it again, especially fiction, is that I had pitched for Disney Channel. They were like looking for a talking dog show. And I am obsessed with dogs. I've always been <laughs> my dog. And I was like, oh my God, this was when they were going to do Dog with a Blog, which is the show that came out. And that was in development. But how development works, it's like a year and they don't know. And testing showed that kids want a talking dog show. And so I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I just threw my hat in the ring on a something like that. They like listened to pitches from so many writers. And I came up with a whole idea and storyline and I pitched it and I didn't get the job. And I was like, okay, but I figured out this whole thing. You know, I figured out these characters and I kind of loved it. And I was like, maybe I should write a kid's book. And like, I'd never even mm. thought about it because, you know, it was like basically a, a boy, you know, who was like in elementary, I mean, in like fifth grade or something. And so then I just started writing it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm just going to, why not? Um, and so I was getting up every morning before Shake It Up at like 5.30. And I was like, I'm going to write 10 pages a day. Not even if I didn't do it, it's fine. And I had a friend who I would email it to. And she didn't even read it. I'm like, don't read it. But it was just gave me like a marker, right. like and set me mm. on a goal. And soon I had like, I don't know, 60 or 70 pages. And then I submitted it to my book agent. And they're like, oh, she's like, finish it. I love it. It's super fun. And it really... Writing, even writing for Shake It Up, very gratifying. All those, you know, we had a live studio audience. Those teens loved that show. Like, you can't believe the passion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I found right. it very rewarding as a writer. So ultimately, before Anna Kay, writing Elvis and the Underdogs, which is a middle grade book, kind of for like third to the fifth grade set, 
really was such a great experience. Like my book tour for that was amazing. I met my husband through my book tour for that book and whatnot. So it was like absolutely this amazing experience. And so now I I think I figured out a balance to do both because I really do want to do both. The freedom, oh, getting back to your original question. In book writing, yes, you have so much more freedom to do kind of what you want to do. You have to think of TV as like a series of hoops, basically, or, which is how I think about it. Every step of the game, you have to, like, there are production producers that you have to get their notes on. You have to usually do a lot of their notes. You Then it goes to a studio. You get all of these people's notes. You have to then, like, uh, do th- take that into consideration. Then it goes up to a network or whoever's streaming it. You get their notes. So there's so many levels of checks and balances mm. and so many people being like, we think it's this and that, and you do not get free reign at all. Even if you're the creator and showrunner. I mean, you do if you become like a super, like Shonda Rhimes, you know, right. then you can do whatever you want. But uh, the rest of us don't, can't, don't have that freedom. So it's a nice balance because I like, again, like I get a lot from the TV writing aspect of my life, but I get, you know, now I get a lot from the book writing too, because it's like, ooh, this is mine. Right. With the with the hoops in are are there hoops in book writing like what is it like when you're when you submit it to your editor how much how much pushback do they get or the publisher like the bigger publisher on your work with your first book when you're first selling a book like with Anna Kay um you have to you have to write the entire manuscript first and that goes out on submission everywhere so then because I was lucky enough to have a lot of publishers interested in it I didn't get much pushback at all like you get to go through this period where you get to talk to different editing houses and they're pitching you on why you should pick them mm. i did get pushback though with anna k and a couple publishers um for in their young adult division said you're gonna have to tone down the sex and drugs like it's just like fyi and i was like okay and that helped me make my decision because i didn't want to i mean it was really i really was very again i wasn't setting out to write a young adult novel i was setting out to write a novel but then they happened to be teenagers so i knew it would be young adult but i was right. in no way catering to what I thought was a young adult audience. Cause I was like, what is that? I mean, in my time when I was a teenager, we read everything and it wasn't right. You know, things with teenagers isn't considered young adult, like Hatcher in the Rye or To Kill a Mockingbird. They right, would be young right. adult novels if they came out right now, which is I like, know, that's so weird. To isn't that about. odd? Totally. I know. We, every time I have a young adult author on, we always end up going into this conversation about like, what even is young adult? This didn't right. even exist when we were yeah. kids. Um, but that's one of my other questions for you is like, I know people felt some type of way about your book portraying kids like doing bad shit or whatever, like okay. drugs and sex and like being rich and like being unlikable, which, you know, if you ask me, those my favorite parts of the book are kids <laughs> being young and rich right. and unlikable and having sex and, you know making mistakes that's the whole point of i feel like youth right right exactly and like that's true to i mean i wasn't doing all the things that those kids were doing in their books but i definitely knew people who were doing those things you know like i wasn't i wasn't quite that much of a rebel everyone knows i like to follow the rules (laughs) but i had friends who were you know i had friends that my brother would call fast ass broad and like (laughs) all these things so i'm wondering like did you ever have to respond to that pushback like from readers or do you were you just like you don't know kids <laughs> like how do you it deal wasn't, with that I got the most pushback probably that I noticed or in comments on Instagram because look my whole thing about reviews like it don't like it there's so many books that everyone loves that I was like eh. you know so honestly I was like that's the whole point that's so great about reading it's like personal choice it either worked for you or it didn't for whatever reason so I have no issue with bad reviews or people like meh or I put it down or I didn't finish. I got a lot of like 
people, uh, I would think moms being like, my, I do not recognize teenagers like this. And I was like, okay, well, I want to tell you something. Teenagers lie their ass off. (laughs) Every kid lies. I'm sorry. You even just lie when you don't have to lie because you just are practicing. I don't know what it is. You're just like... So I was like, you don't know, because I have a couple of friends who, you know, are wealthy and live in New York City, and they have teenager kids, and they're like, oh, well, I don't think there's this amount of... And I was like, I promise you, you are wrong. And I it, wrong. I did research, too, like, for sure, because I definitely have... I have friends who have teenagers now, and they absolutely are like, oh, yeah, I've definitely seen coke at parties. You know, I've seen coke at parties. I've seen drugs. I mean, they're not going to admit that much to their... That it was them to their parents, as I'm their mom's friend, but... It's it's out there. Like I also went to um I went to one year of boarding school at St. George's in Newport, Rhode Island. Um okay. and it was an incredible amount of rich kids. Like you can't believe it. And let me tell you, they like live fast. I think when you are born into extreme wealth, um, and I was not at all, um, you are you do have a level of sophistication and worldliness because you get to travel more and go places and their parents have like multiple houses. You just probably see more things, I would think. Um, so maybe they are a little bit more sophisticated, especially growing up in New York City, because I, I arrived in New York at 18 for NYU. So I was a teenager there and I was like seeing teenagers your own age, like dressed in Chanel and driving fancy cars. You, it's yep. just like otherworldly, the amount, the level of what kind of money there is in New York City because I grew up in Tennessee and there's not even the richest person in town doesn't have like New York City money you know what I mean right right. so it's like love we talk about I went to NYU too have we talked about oh that? no we haven't yeah I went to NYU too and I I had one of my roommates um junior year he is from New Jersey but his family is very wealthy and I remember he once had a sweater on that he told me how much it costs and I was like we're 20 <laughs> Like, I was literally like, how do you have a $2,000 sweater on? Totally. I mean, you what can't is a even $2, I was like, what is different about your sweater than this sweater that I'm wearing from Urban Outfitters? <laughs> right. Like, they're the same, except for yours is from Barney's. Right. And costs 10, 15 of my sweaters or whatever. More than that, I'm bad at math. Um, <laughs> okay, this is my last sort of Anna K question, okay. which is, do you have any vision of ever adapting another classic? And if so, which one or ones? Yes and no. Well, it's weird because, again, with Anna Kay, it wasn't like – I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know that so many people do that, that everyone like does, loves – I mean, I knew obviously about Shakespeare and Jane Austen. Like everybody knows that people adapt right. those books. But I had no idea that so many were being adapted, and especially in young adult literature. So my agent did – absolutely say what are you gonna do next which adaptation i was like i i don't i don't know and i was trying to think about it a little bit because i was like oh i do kind of like the count of monte cristo but i feel like that's been done a bunch too because i like revenge tales because i was like ooh, i like dark and i feel like that would be super fun and teen version um there is a dh lawrence book that i remember reading in college called women in love and I was thinking about doing that as well because I was like, oh, it's two sisters. And this is me. And I've been meaning to reread it and I haven't yet. Um, it's two sisters. And one was um, became artsy. They're both married. They both got married. And one was like artsy and free spirited. And maybe they were like polyamorous in that time, you know, of their okay. lives. And they were artists and they were bohemian and didn't have kids and partied a lot. And the other was like the traditional got married to a nice man and had children. And it was like, I have always been obsessed with like the two lives, your past, you know, the two mm. paths your life could go because I don't have children. So I have a very different life from a lot of my friends that do, you know, so I just always am like, ooh, the two versions and two sisters. I thought that would be a fun one to do. 
I'm not sure. I mean, but part of me is like, is it a good thing? And I'm going to ask this to you. Like, I was like, oh, I'm t- retelling these like white men's stories. In a way, I kind of like that idea because I really, with Anna Kay and Anna Kobe, I'm like, these girls are going to lead. They are going to have voices. They are not going right. to be like, you know, seen through a different lens. Um, So I want to have them like do what they want to do and then just make it a little bit more modern. But I'm not sure. So, I mean, so... Uh, I know it's a vague answer, but I'm like, if it has to be a book that I know that I love. I'm not, I don't think I'm the type of person that can just pick something and be like, ooh, this would make a good adaptation, like, and, mm. you know, and then just do it for that sake. Cause right now I have so little time to like write books on the right. side, you know, of my regular day job. So it's got to be something I'm like obsessed with. Like, that's, I work best when I'm obsessed with like one story and an idea and I can do it. Cause otherwise it's, it's not going to work for me. Right. I, I said that was my last question about Anna Kate, but then you reminded me that I had a really important question that I wanted to ask you about, which is one of the things that when Anna Kay came out is that it was sort of marketed as Gossip Girl meets Crazy Rich Asians. And I had a lot of feelings about that. I'm not Asian and you are. And I, I don't feel like that was a fair um, assessment because I felt, I feel like, first of all, Anna and her brother are half Asian. Right. And they're really the only Asian characters in the book. And I sort of felt like it was like a way to pigeonhole you because you are Korean also. And like, I'm wondering if you had feelings about that at all. And if you didn't, that's fine too. I just did because (laughs) I have feelings about everything, But, (laughs) but I just, I found it to be interesting because yes, they're rich, but it's, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't get crazy rich Asian vibes besides rich people, but I don't know. I, I think that is like just, the categorization, categorization that people use right now for anything that's like Asian and a little bit like fancy. They're like crazy rich Asians because I'm telling you that every single, it was everywhere. Like that is the only way my book was described. Gossip Girl, I am fine. I like that. Like that's I mean, definitely a very comp, Gossip Girl. For totally. sure. So I absolutely think that one is accurate too. Because I was thinking like Cruel Intentions, you know what I mean? Sure. Like Dangerous yeah. Liaisons, that was kind of a thing. But I think with the Asian thing, I think that's the one thing they just throw onto it for good or for bad because in some ways I definitely drafted off the success of Crazy Rich Asians because I sold this book the September like it went Mm. out September 5th which was like Crazy Rich Asians came out like August 15th and had like blockbuster two-week box office out of nowhere no one expected it to be a hit like it was and then it took off so it's it's tricky because I have a lot of I mean I have lots of feels about that as well you know about like how you categorize like diverse works and whatnot because even in my tv work it turns into like crazy rich Asians, crazy rich, and i'm like well or people are like oh have you watched bling empire and i'm like i di- i didn't or i haven't but it's like it's just they pick that one comparison of one asian thing they know and they just put it on there and they just yeah. mash it up and say it's accurate but it's i i agree with you i wouldn't necessarily think that anna Kay is like crazy rich asians ask except for the fact that like you know i read the books of crazy rich Asians, and they're very soapy and i for right. sure you know how serious uh anna karenna the original is yeah. i definitely made a point i'm like <laughs> i am not trying to rewrite tolstoy this is not high art this is i am my book will not be literature you know basically and right, right study right. for hundred years i want fun soapy like it needs to be a different version i need to make it my own thing and i wanted to write something that i wanted to read so i wanted to be serious but i wanted to come through in like fun ways do you know what i mean like yeah with the characters etc so yeah i mean i the only reason i say that is also because like besides anna and her brother there's right. there's like a pretty diverse cast of characters yes. like dustin is is he's mixed he's, 
Yeah, he's, he's mixed black. Jewish and black. Yep. Like me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like there's like lots of white. It's just it. It's more diverse than either Crazy Rich Asians or Gossip Girl, for being completely honest. Right. Um, and maybe that model doesn't really exist and like you're creating something new. But I, I just was curious about that. Um, okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so the thing that we always do on the show is called Ask the Stacks, and I have not prepped you for this, so this is my surprise. Someone has written in asking us for a book recommendation. So I'm going to read what they wrote, and then you're going to give me just at least one, but you could do multiple titles of books okay. that you think they might like. So okay. this comes from Abby W. And Abby says, as I'm sure is true for many people, the pandemic has made me feel quite isolated and lonely. While I'm thankful to be healthy and to live with my partner, I don't live near my family or any close friends, and it's just taken a bit of a toll on my mental health lately. I'm seeking a book that makes me feel a sense of connection and belonging and or helps me feel more grounded in who I am. I love books that feel like a punch in the gut and that make me think lar long and hard about life. 
And then here are some books that Abby says that she liked. And I did okay. not plant this. She okay. says she liked Anna Kay. Okay. <laughs> Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb, Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, and a bunch more. So I'll go first and mm-hmm. give I'll give her three recommendations so you have time to think. Okay. Abby, you presented me a lot of different books, so I kind of am giving you a range. The first one, which really goes deep into the gut punch, is A Little Life by Han- Hanya Yanagihara. Um, that one is maybe not going to help you if you're feeling on the depressed side, but if you're looking for a book that's going to make you feel connected to characters and make you feel a gut punch, this is the one for you. It is very sad. I'm just warning you, but it's also long. So if you're looking for something to kind of live in, this is a good one. My second one is called is a book that a lot of people know that I love. It's an essay collection called The Reckonings by Lacey M. Johnson. Um, these essays are all about justice and joy. They're about the ways that we can find justice in life. So some essays are about children with cancer. Some essays are about um, Hurricane Harvey, as Lacey is from Houston. Um, there, it's one of my favorite essay collections. And this is sort of leaning into to a sense of connection and feeling like our obligations to one another. And then my last option is a super backlist book. I don't think I've ever talked about it on here, but I loved it. It's called My Own Country by Abraham Verghese, and he wrote Cutting for Stone, and it's his memoir about um, his life in his post. So he was as a doctor in med school. After med school, you go and you do your residency, and he went to rural, I believe, Tennessee, but I'm not positive, yes. um, right before or right at the start of the AIDS pandemic, and he was an infectious disease doctor. So he was dealing with people who were not in New York City, not in LA, not in San Francisco, many of whom were not homosexual at the beginning of the AIDS crisis who were had AIDS. And he was dealing with being a brown person. He's Southeast Asian. He was dealing with the racism and the confusion and the fact that, you know, heterosexual women who were married were coming down with AIDS and like, what is that? And what's wrong with me? And what does this look like? And it's just a very interesting book that will certainly make you think long and hard about life. So those are my recs. Jenny, what do you have for Abby? One quick thing about Abraham Verghese. I worked for Mary Evans, his literary agent when that book sold. And oh, so really? I had talked to him on the phone. Yeah, he's such oh a gosh. great guy. So smart and interesting. And I mean, that was all I wanted. And he also wrote really Cutting for say. Stone, which yes. also is a good recommendation to another great book. Let's see. For my recommendations, um, one of the books that I – this is definitely a, an old book. And I don't know if you're into short stories, but I am a big short story person. And one thing I was thinking, given that you're like, oh, I want this connection – some short story collections, you know, it's like reading a bunch of stories of slices of life. So it's like, oh, maybe that would be like, you know, restorative for you. Um, there is a collection called Come to Me by Amy Bloom that came out in the 90s that I read in college. I reread it, I don't know, every couple years. It is brilliant. Mm. It was nominated for like the Pulitzer Prize or the National Book Award, which is very rare for a collection of short stories. But there's a couple interconnected short stories in there. So I feel like that would be a good one. Mm. Uh Jennifer Egan, welcome to the Goon Squad. Um, I just thought that was such a social sort of book, and it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, some friends bopping around. And that's, I think, also kind of a weird collection, but of connected character short stories. And I just liked that in the sense that there was a lot of the stuff in L.A. about, like, bopping around a nightclub. So I feel like you want escapism during this time, that maybe that might be a fun one. Mm. Those are good. Yeah. How about that? Those are great. Is that good? Okay, good. Anyone looking for a book recommendation, email askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com. 
Now, Jenny, it's time for the sax questionnaire. We always start here. Two books you love, one book you hate. I know you gave, I, I just want everyone to know Tracy sent this to me this morning. So she was like, oops, sorry. And I was like, and I scanned I it really quickly. <laughs> and I was like, it's pandemic brain. I'm telling you, pandemic it brain is. is like so real and like whatnot. I can no longer multitask very well. Um, two books I love. Lori Moore is probably my favorite author. She is a big short story uh, writer. I just, there's a book, um, her first collection is called, um, oh my gosh, I'm blinking. It's a uh, self-help, I believe. Um, and I read it in college and there's a book and it's all written in second person, meaning like you do this and then it's like how oh. to have an affair. And it's like, it's hilarious. Um, she has such a skewed, like edgy point of view. And I was like, oh my God, it's so amazing. I remember feeling kind of like alone in college and whatnot. I mean, like she gets me, I would get her, we could be friends. It was one of those sort of things. Like I like how she sees the world. So I would recommend Lori Moore short story wise. Um, Another book I love, I'm obsessed sort of with Sally Rooney right now, I got to tell you, because oh. I'm rereading Normal People, the scripts, basically, because they published that book. And I really thought Conversations with Friends was like amazingly good for a first novel, because I'm always fascinated about people's first novel, because I still want to write my adult fiction first novel. Right, right. And I would remember I was on a plane reading the Beyonce episode, uh, issue of Vogue, and there's a huge mm. article about her, and I knew nothing about her. And they were like, she's the Salinger of Snapchat. And I was like, ew, gross. Like, I was like... <laughs> also, like, what does that mean? <laughs> I know. I was like, it's so, like, demeaning to her, and I hadn't even read her book yet. It was just, like, an odd sort of thing, because she was so young when she wrote this book. But when I read it, I mean, of course, I honestly probably could have ordered it then if I had Wi-Fi on the plane. I was like obsessed. I was like, I need to check this book out that everyone's like talking about. And it was great. I was just found it very refreshing. <laughs> like of the, hmm. that her young people that it's again, you know, like if they were like high school age up going up into college, they just seem like real people. And it wasn't like young adult ish or where they're trying to be like cutesy and love and whatnot. They just kind of like knocked around life and had issues and like grown up problems. And they just seemed like, they were just such great characters. I just found it very surprising and interesting. So I was, I became like a big fan of Sally Rooney. Okay. And what about the book you hate? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of the book I hate. Um, I'm really impressed that you're having a hard time thinking of it because I can think of like 50 books I hate off the top of my head at oh, all really? times. Give I me hate some books. Book. Like, tell me. Well, I, I mean, like, I hate Catcher in the Rye. I I hate Great Gatsby, but I want to go back and reread it because apparently there's this whole theory that um, that Great Gatsby was black. And so then that really made me think about wanting to reread it because then there's this whole thing about like trying to pass and like be, you know, that I'm like, right. oh, I might actually want to read that because maybe that's good. Right. Um, so I hate that. I also like I hate like every novel that's ever been written pretty much. Uh <laughs> I don't really like novels that much. Oh, really? Um, no, not really. I didn't like To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't like most of the classics. I hate The Awakening. Was that by the Chopin sisters or whatever? No. Um, oh, oh that, yeah. With yeah, Edna. The character's name is Edna. We had to read that in high school. I hated that. I don't know. I just hate everything. I think everything is like, um, I just, ugh, too much description, not enough plot, too much emotion, not enough like action. I, I, I find when people write about feeling it's really cheapened. I feel like if you just write about the things, let the reader put that other part in. Like, I don't need to know how, like, I don't like, I don't like to read about feelings. Okay. I think right. I can add that myself as a human who thinks and feels. I I guess when you're th talking about classics, oh boy, uh, everyone's supposed to love Faulkner as I lay dying. I remember I had to read it for school. I could not 
get through it. And I was like, oh my God, if this is what it's like to be, I was like, die already. I sort of remember that sort of aspect because it was just very stream of conscious. And I think at the time, honestly, it was probably too, I mean, I maybe should give it another chance. But at the time I was just like not into it. It just didn't, I couldn't connect with it at all. Same thing with like all those male bastion, her, you know, Moby Dick and stuff. I was like, oh my God, I have no interest in this you know, type of thing. But one of the classics, I took a class um, in college called uh, Doris Lessing and uh, George Eliot, who is a woman, but who was picked a name to write under like a male name, basically. And I really like the mill on the floss is like the big one that everyone reads of her. But I like, oh, no, Middlemarch is the one that everyone liked it. But I like mill on the floss because it's like a family story and stuff. Hmm. Um, Did I I really, did I answer? Did I answer? Yeah, that counts. That totally counts. Thank you. Thanks. I'm glad. Whatever. Yeah, you're done. You passed the test. Okay, thanks. Have a nice day. No, just kidding. (laughs) Okay, what's the last really just great book you've read? When I'm writing a book, which I was honestly, I mean, the last edits of Anna Kay Away went in in January. So FYI, it's coming out. It was that fast. I was tweaking uh, till the end. I'm not, I, I don't read that much except for like things. I definitely don't read YA. I don't read whatever I'm working in. Maybe I'll read like a thriller here and there or like some sort of genre thing. I just don't have the time or my brain. I just like pass out and basically go to sleep. So I don't, I usually read at night. Um, I have to say I read Anxious People by Frederick. Is it Frederick Bachman who wrote The Man yeah. Called Ove? Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm not sure. I never read A Man Called Ove. I think I bought it on my Kindle, but I never read it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to check this book out because of Anxious People and whatnot. And I will say I found it. I'm going to say this is what I would recommend now because I was really surprised as a writer reading this book in the beginning. It just sort of seems like not light, but just like, Oh, it's just a bunch of cast of characters who kind of show up at this open house and they all kind of get pulled in together. And I was reading it on the treadmill as I was walking to make myself do it every day. And I, he brings you in deeper and deeper into these people's lives in Mm. a way that just kind of crept up on me. And I started crying on the treadmill. I might've been a PMSing too. I will admit that. But somewhere (laughs) towards the end, I just, it was also the pandemic and talking about connection and the goodness, finding the goodness in strangers, Mm. which I'm a big believer in the kindness of strangers from Tennessee Williams that like, I don't know. I found, I also, I was very moved and I was like, oh my God, I think, and I'm not the girl who's like, cries that often honestly especially in books lately and i have to say i was like kind of like really moved to tears from that so i was like wow this is i don't know because in general it's not a book i would have ever really normally picked up i just kind of like huh don't you love that when a book that you're not expecting really like nails it for you yes it's all it's the best because i also hate having expectations and so because they're never met i have very high expectations rarely met but when i have no expectations and then a book just like blows my mind like i just it's that's how i I love about anna Kay. like (laughs) i was like i was like i have very low expectations this is not my thing and then i read it and i obviously i have not stopped talking about it pretty much (laughs) for the last year and change like i just was like this is so great this is like such a treat and i you know like emotions and all those things but what what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? I, it's funny. I was like, I knew she's. Gonna, I bet she's going to ask this. I'm going to pull like a couple books that like are on my nightstand. I'm reading that Sanjay Gupta. Like, is it How to Improve Your Brain? It's the Brain Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. That's yeah, yeah. So I'm reading that. I'll I'm link not to a- everything in the show okay. notes with okay. the title. So if you're like, what is she Great. talking about? It'll be right. there, people. Don't worry. I'm a, a, not a big nonfiction reader. I just don't read that much nonfiction in general because I was like, life's too short. I well, there's so I have stacks and stacks of books. Speaking of the stacks, <laughs> all over my house because I always buy books that I like want to read and I just don't have enough time. Um, so that I heard him on a podcast and I was like, he sounds smart and he. My brother's an MD PhD and he just 
weirdly reminded me of my brother about how he's mm. so logical, but like accessible. And I was like, boom. So I started reading that because I was worried about my brain in the pandemic turning to mush. <laughs> um, I said I was reading the normal people's scripts, but I am. But that's for like my TV work. And I just thought that show was phenomenal. I am reading How to Speak K-Pop for a project is research. Ooh. Honestly, I did a lot of research for Anna K in the Korean part because honestly, I went to Korea when I was eight. I haven't been eight for many, many, many <laughs> decades, basically, I feel like. <laughs> so honestly, I did not. I really had to do a huge amount of research for that book because I want it to be like modern Korea now, not from the stories that I heard. Right, um, right. And the top of my book uh, read that I think I might be able to start today is that book Legendborn, because I brought that up to you. Mm. Um, it's a young adult book that's been getting, I just keep hearing a lot of buzz about it. And everyone's like, oh my God, Legendborn's so good. So that's like kind of like the list. Because I am on a kick right now because I want to read um, more diverse authors. And I, I mean, because when all of, you know, I'm obviously diverse, but I was looking through my bookshelves and I made the recollection that even though I do certainly read diverse authors, like They're There by Tommy Orange, I mean, I'd certainly so seek it out. But I mean, obviously the dominant amount of books that I have, and we have a, like, I don't know, two or 3,000 books in this house. My husband's a huge wow. reader. We, um, a lot of white people. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I want to change that. So I'm really on a kick of buying. I also um, feel like that is, that's, it's a lot harder be- to read di- to read like a diverse range of authors because publishing publishes so many books by white people. Yes, you know, yes. like it's like I, I uh, the opposite of you. I love nonfiction, and so much nonfiction that's not memoir is written by white men. And so every year, you know, I track all my reading and I keep track of what I'm reading. I'm not always disappointed because I've read so many books by white men, and then I'm like, right, but I also read, you know, investigative journalism. Right. nonfiction and like that is who has those jobs you know and so it's true I try like if there's a book by a black woman that is in that vein I try to read it you know right. like I've read plenty but like I'm reading a book about mass shootings right now and it's written by this white guy from Texas and I'm like Ugh, but also like <laughs> I'm curious so you know like I get it what are some books that you're looking forward to reading usually I'm very good with keeping super track of like what movies are coming out what books mm. are coming out uh, speaking of Sally Rooney and my uh, current obsession, she has a new book coming out from the fall. I'm like, what is this oh, woman yeah. doing? Because she worked on TV show. She were on the TV shows. They're adapting conversations with friends now with Taylor Swift's boyfriend, John uh, Joe Alwyn is going to be in it. And I don't um, know who that is. Oh, it's it's Taylor Swift's boyfriend that everyone's like they're secretly engaged. I follow oh. a lot of teen gossip. At I so this is I not my beat. Yeah, you're like don't know about who that <laughs> Taylor is. Taylor Swift anyway. is actively not my beat. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm waiting for that book. It's like the book that I'll like ask for a galley from my book agent because I try not mm. to bother her about such things. I'm like, can you give me an early copy of this? <laughs> what is another book I'm looking forward to coming out? I know all the big books come out in like summer and september i couldn't really tell you what's coming out it's so okay. i don't know that's fine that's yeah. fine it could be something that you've had on your bookshelves too like just something that you just keep wanting like something that you've been meaning to read i i when we talk about books i hit i kind of like to hate read like when celebrities write mm. novels do you know what i mean like oh, ethan hawk yeah. had a new book and i'd read i read his first one and i was in working in book publishing and he when his first novel came out and he read i did a reading series with my best friend on avenue a in new york city oh at God. the limbo cafe and like he came in 
everybody should it was like just packed a uh, thing and i was like meh i don't know why if i if ever there's something i hate read it's always that because i have david Duchovny's book who i do like in some of his work and i was like who and everyone and i've known that he keeps trying to write novels and that he's very serious about it, and i heard he's very smart but i'm still always a little skeptical <laughs> about people like that but then i read some an article about this one that said He's getting better. So I was like, good for him that he's actually trying. <laughs> like trying. Yeah, he's actually really takes this very seriously. So I was like, all right. So I have that book that it's like, I'm kind of like, I have curiosity about things like that sometimes. Okay. I always read first novels. Like I love people's first attempt because it's like, hey, kudos to you for getting writing an adult right. um, fiction novel. For sure. Do you have any favorite first novels besides Conversation with Friends? Um, the Secret History, I guess, by Donna Tartt was like, mm. I was like, oh my God, it's the first novel. Uh, I think she wrote in eight years. So that makes me feel better. Okay. I grew up in the time of Bret Easton Ellis and Jay McInerney. I, you know, that 80s, 90s, New York City, lots of coke and drugs and mm. name dropping of designers <laughs> and stuff. So I really love Less Than Zero because I really liked the movie and I loved um, his first novel too. And then Tom Janowitz was in that thing too, like Slaves of New York. So anything that was that, because I do think I got a lot of, I got a little bit of flack for all my designer name dropping in Anna Kay. And I was like trying to think where that came from. And I was like, oh, I bet it kind of came from like Brett Easton Ellis because Hmm. all of his books, like American Psycho, are just all labels and whatnot. And I guess I just recognize that stuff. And so maybe I was, I don't know for sure. That's where I mean, I'm assuming that's where I wasn't really thinking about it. Cause I was like, Oh, don't people want to know what rich kids are wearing? Cause I do. I certainly (laughs) do. I just think those people don't care about rich kids. Like, I just think like, they're just not interested in rich people. And like, that's fine too. I am interested. Uh, (laughs) Please tell me what they're wearing, what they're, where they're eating. Like I need the details, please. Um, let's see. So you said you have like two to 3,000 books in your house. How do you all organize your books or do you? We absolutely organize um, our books. My husband does that. He is far more organized than I am. When he <laughs> moved in, I already had these crazy bookshelves. It's my favorite piece of furniture, these restoration hardware. They're like nine feet long. It's three like library shelves, steel books mm. where you stand on a ledge. There's no ladder. I wanted the ladder, like the Beauty and the Beast <laughs> ladder, but it doesn't have that. Um, but you can like have to step on a thing to reach the high shelves. Oh my gosh. They were, all my books were just not in any order at all. And he was like, I cannot believe you're like living like a library animal like you read but you're like like not fully formed like what is this how can you find anything and i'm like eh. you know so now he does it by um section like there's like the short story section there's like graphic novel there's a whole young adult section there is like like his sort of shelf of favorite book my shelf it's all like all male and then mine is like all female it's sort of funny um and he kind of arranges that way but he kind of displays books and faces them out like it's a, basically a bookstore and he will oh periodically God. like move things around so the only problem with that is i'm like i have to ask him when i can't find a book i'm like i know i have this book i don't know what section it is I don't know can you make is. a card catalog yes that's how it's arranged are there any books that you're embarrassed about never having read? I I mean, in terms of Tolstoy, I've never read War and Peace. I tried a couple times and I could not get hmm. through it. Because when I first started thinking about Anna um, writing the sequel, I was like, should I base it on another book by Tolstoy or someone else and oh. follow that model? I was like, would that be interesting or would that be like cheaty weird? So I, I mean, I really went through <laughs> the gauntlet trying to figure out like what the best way to structure it. So I'd never read War and Peace. And uh, I keep thinking, and then I saw a pl- 
think the comet of something that Broadway musical with Josh Groban was based oh, on yeah. that. And I, I don't like that musical. So I was like, oh, okay. So now maybe it's the story. Um, it's not for you. Yeah, exactly. Other classics. They'd probably all be in that classic sort of thing. Because yeah. I think I would just start some of these. I'm like, meh, not into it. What about a book that you're proud to have read? When I was working in book publishing, Infinite Just came out, that David mm, Foster Wallace, yes. a thousand yes. million page book. I went to the book party because it was like I was an assistant and we had a chance to like go and they gave out these galleys of the book that were signed by him that are now honestly worth like $2,000. I carried that book with me forever, never read it. Like oh, every boy in, in their 20s in New York City was carrying that book around. I'm like, they're not reading that book. No one I know right. read that book yet at all. I meet my husband in 2014. Lo and behold, it's one of his favorite books. And I'm like, so you read it? And he's like, I've read it twice. And I'm like, what? Shut the fuck up. Get the hell out of here. But then when we started falling in love, I'm like, oh, it's his fav- one of his favorite books. I guess I have to read it. But I was, you know, that thing where you're nervous and you're in a new relationship. Right. I'm like, what if I hate his favorite book? Because reading right. such a big deal to me. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll start it. So many characters, so many things. I'm like, yes, do I get why david foster wallace that so many people like love him and obsess and is very different and i don't know if he's an experimental writer but you know there's just like a bastion of men usually who just love him so i really tried to give it my all and honestly it took me like 255 pages before it kind of started taking off for me it was Mm. such a like so many characters it's some crazy stuff that happens in that book but then ultimately i did end up understanding why he liked it and appreciated it for sure. So I am very proud. It's 1,079 pages and I have read it for real. Good for you. That's Thank really you. impressive. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people by the end of this month, May, are going to feel very proud to have read Anna Karenina. Yeah. I feel proud that I finally finished it. And it's my first and probably only Russian novel. <laughs> At least the classic. Like maybe right. I'd read like Nabokov or whatever. Right. But like, I don't know. Not rushing to it. Okay. If you were teaching in high school, what's a book you would assign? I would, I honestly would assign a collection of short stories. I don't know. I just think that that I got the most out of these slices of life. And it really, when I think about why I love short stories so much versus novels, because it's like, you know, it's a small thing and it's a slice of life. So you have less expectations, but the best ones are the ones you're like, oh my God, they managed to fully develop like these incredible characters in like eight pages, but then it's done. And I feel like by, I have read so many different collections of them that I really kind of have a very expansive worldview to me i'm like if Mm. more people read books it would really help the world basically i just think kids should read more and like all different types of books from all different perspectives and slices of lives of all different characters i really think that would help because i think people get stuck in genres or types and that's all they read and they're all kind of a little bit sort of the same so maybe i think i would do a lot of short stories just because i think that you know writers who are great at them really like do a a random assortment of characters then they like discuss one theme so i think it's very easy to like pinpoint and like talk yeah. about one particular story have you read danielle evans short stories collection she just her newest one was the office of historical corrections no i haven't i, I think you should read it it's really okay, good i will it's, all right I, awesome. i'm not a huge short story person but i think the collection's really i think it's okay. really cool and good we oh. did it on the show so i i have lots of feelings about it but um i, I get it immediately it <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. it's it's like seven short stories and one novella so like the last hundred pages is like a novella and then the first part is a bunch of short stories okay i'm gonna ask you two more questions and then we're gonna be all done and this is i'm only asking you this because this is sort of your your wheelhouse but Mm -hmm. what's a book that you would like to see or maybe you would like to 
adapt into a television show or film? I have an idea that I've been sort of working on that I was like, oh, would this be a movie or is this like, because I have, I do that thing where I try it in different little genres because I was like, maybe mm -hmm. it's a short story. Um, the picture of a modern, and this also would work for your earlier question, um, the picture of Dorian Gray, I always mm. th thought was so fun. And I was like, ooh, a teen, but I, I would totally flip the gender and make it female. Um, okay. make, I was like, I, I would make her Dory Gray, basically, oh. and do it as a girl instead. So I, I thought that. that would be fun. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Last one. If you could require the current president of the United States of America to read one book, what would it be? I personally, like I went through a, a media blackout um, right after um, Biden's inauguration in January. And I was like, okay, I just want to go back to like not reading or caring that much about politics anymore because we got right. a, you know who out the yeah. unmentionable that i can't even discuss and this is like the new charge i think <laughs> in my opinion now is like uh joe biden's so busy i would want him to read like a fun book to like <laughs> honestly i know is that crazy that i'm not being like you should read this book and learn about people um i would let think he should read a beach read because i am impressed i want i i like that he's getting so many people vaccinated i'm very much like he, <laughs> he, he is a busy he has inherited a job that was in lying in ruins yeah. um so i feel like i would uh suggest a fun beach read escapism do i have to name okay. the book i do have to name the book you don't have to name a book. I, oh, okay. I feel like that's fine. I think that's okay. fine. Just All something right. nice for Thanks, Joe to Tracy. relax. Yeah. Joe and Jill can just hang out on the beach in Delaware or wherever they like to go to hang out. Yeah, with their dogs and stuff. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Major needs a break. Major's having a tough <laughs> time adapting, I think. Or Champ. I don't know which one. It's like Champ and Major. I Oh, uh, one book. The One of my favorite dog books is The Monks of New Skeet. They are these monks that live in upstate New York. It's a dog what a dog training book, and Wait, they have is this is German this like shepherds. how to raise a puppy. Yes. Okay, but no, you're they, this is it tells crazy. Raise a dog oh, tell me. So my guest last month, my April uh -huh. guest is Reginald Dwayne Betts, and he is a lawyer, activist, poet, all these things. And one of the books that he talked about was like how to raise a puppy by the nun monks of Newski, which truly like, could you imagine this book coming up on this podcast? Like more, I'm just Twice. like blown away. <laughs> it is. I feel like their original book might've been how to raise a good dog. And the puppy is like their new one. Sort oh, okay. Of. But it might be, I don't know. I could be completely wrong. I have no I definitely, idea. Yeah, I definitely have a copy, but it's funny. And I, because I think of them because they are German shepherds. And I was like, seriously, mm. after I read it, I was like, I want a German shepherd that like was bred by these monks. Just so I can say that it's such a weird, bizarre thing. It's so weird. I feel like maybe they need to volunteer their help for Champ and Major to yeah. like help them. Like, like, I understand it's stressful. You just moved into this new house. There's all these people around, like they're getting near you. I would bite too, you know, they're dogs. Right. Yeah. That's what they do. They're stressed out. And yeah. And they're rescue dogs, right? Don't they rescue their I dogs? I believe they're rescue dogs. Yeah. That adds like a little extra element. Another element. All right, everybody. This is it for Jenny from now. Please check out Jenny's books, Anna Kay and Anna Kay Away. Jenny will be back the last week of May, May 26th. We're discussing Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. We're finally doing a Russian on this podcast. So leave me alone, people. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I did. <laughs> I read it. Thank you very much. I read it in 20 days. Very proud of myself. Very proud. And we're going to discuss it in detail. We are going to spoil that episode. So if you're trying to read along, please make sure you finish it before you listen. And um, Jenny, thank you. 
Thank you. I had such a great time. So much fun. This is so much fun. And next time we're going to be in person, we're probably going to have like a glass of wine. I don't know. We're going to have a good time. You guys yes. are going to be jealous. It's fine. We're going to be vaccinated by then. Both yes. of us fully two weeks fully. out, all of that. Thank you so much. And everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Jenny Lee for being my guest. Jenny will be back on Wednesday, May 26th to discuss Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy for the Stacks Book Club. Please consider making a donation to the Million Book Project through the link in the show notes. Help us hit our goal of $50,000 towards getting books into prisons nationwide. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Sebastian Alcala is our sound editor and producer. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirjis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs> <laughs>